Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. Today, I have a special guest with me, somebody that I've known for a while, actually, uh, mostly online, but we did get to meet at, I believe, ISTE 2017, which is a way back for, for many of my guests. I haven't known them very long, but for uh, Mark Otter, I've known him for a while, even actually when I saw VIF International. I can't remember exactly how I happened onto it, but I was very interested in global education. And so, Mark, I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. I, I've been thinking about it for a while, and we've been talking about it for a while, but you're just so busy, so I'm, I'm really excited. Welcome. Thanks, Ali. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, it's amazing to, to think back how long we've known each other. It has been, it has been a while, back to the yeah. BIF days. Yeah, yeah sure. we've had several conversations because I've I'm still interested in getting, and we'll talk a little bit about Participate, which is what VIF mm -hmm. International um, is now. And we'll talk a little bit about that when, when we start chatting. But yeah, I've always been interested in the kinds of things that you're doing. And so, like I said, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to chat with you today and have our, our listeners find out a little bit more about uh, your community and your uh, you know, journey with belonging. Um, so um, tell us a little bit more about you because I really didn't say too much other than, you know, kind of how we know each other. Sure, uh, absolutely. Um, so I'm the, currently the CEO of, uh, of Participate, um, you know, at participate.com. But I started out, um, uh, you know, growing up in, in small town, Nova Scotia, Canada. I'm a Canadian and uh, ended up here in the United States through the VIF program, the Visiting International Faculty Program. So um, I was a math science teacher for 10 years, taught um, math and science here in North Carolina before going to England to teach uh, math and science at a, at a great little school in Staines just outside of London. Mm -hmm. um, made my way back across the pond to Virginia, back to North Carolina and uh, finished my teaching career here in North Carolina and, and joined what was at the time the Visiting International Faculty Program, uh, BIF International Education, as a, as a researcher. And, oh, I uh, didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Putting those math skills to, to work and, and, and um, you know, spent a decade, another decade in that organization um, until two years ago. We actually spun out Participate as its own separate company and the, the Global Education Teacher Program uh, became participate learning. So they're actually two different, very closely related um, organizations. And, and so we're kind of like the little sibling, uh, participate is like the little sibling of participate learning, who's our, who's our older, bigger uh, uh, sister company. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I, I didn't realize, I, I wondered how that whole progression happened because I sort of lost track of VIF uh, for a little while. And then when I tried to find it again and I saw it was participate, 
I didn't really understand how the two organizations worked. So again, we'll talk a little bit more about that mm -hmm. because um, obviously that's part, part of your journey and part of your connection to belonging also. Um, the first question I like to ask most of my guests is, if I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, yeah, I mean, for, for me, it's, it's community. And uh, you know, having grown up in a small community, having grown up in a, in a, a place where you, you, you knew, your, knew your neighbors and, and people looked out for each other and you always did have that sense of belonging. And, and right. as I've traveled since then, that sense of belonging has, has come from finding the communities where I am, whether it's a community of hockey players, you know, in England or, you know, a community of teachers at your school. And, and that sense mm -hmm. of belonging was, was critical to, to kind of help, helping me weather some, you know, as you know, when you move abroad, it's, yeah. it's not all sunshine and roses. And, and, and that yeah. sense of belonging, that sense of community was, was really an important part of my entire life. Yeah. That's really interesting because that, you know, that, that's how I started my journey about researching and understanding belonging and trying to figure out when people asked me about how I felt comfortable in two completely opposite sides and cultures, um, how I was able to manage that. And so, yeah, so that's sort of what took me to the idea of, of belonging, which is so true. We really need to feel like we belong and not just fitting in, but really have be part of that culture. So. So that's sort of related to um, what I wanted to ask you next. It, it, it's obvious that community uh, is one of the drivers for your sense of belonging. And I know you talked a little bit about your journey as a, a global educator, but I, I'd love to know a little bit more about that. What, what sort of drives you to the global education sphere and why is, why is community so important um, within that, not, not just for you, but also for others. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I kind of backed into education itself, um, accidentally. And so, you know, my, I, my undergraduate, I was, uh, I was an engineering in biology, ended up graduating biology math mm -hmm. and, um, had taken a course in education, um, as an elective in my final year wow. and, um, ended up going and becoming, a, uh, I did a, a Bachelor of Education degree after that, uh, my first mm -hmm. degree and, be and became a teacher. And there was not a lot of opportunities to work at home. And so this, this okay. and I had never really kind of traveled. So this opportunity to join VIF and, and come to an, another country, even if it's the country next door yeah. and uh, experience, you know, a, a, di a different mm -hmm. culture to what, what I'd grown up in. And, um, that is, you know, was really kind of my first international uh, kind of experience, but it was really when I went to, to London after that to teach mm -hmm. that I, I really began to grasp, to <clears throat> began kind of tying the threads together of what it was like growing and up and teaching in Canada, teaching in the United States and living there and living in London. And I, you know, I started to kind of experience the, 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 the ups and the downs of that type of uh, cultural experience. Right. And um, so when I came back to, to, to VIF, they had already been, you know, as you can imagine, um, participate learning, but VIF, was thousands of teachers from around the world coming into the United States. And this, right. this idea that um, 
you would share your culture with American students and you in turn would experience the American culture through your students, through your community. Um, I just thought it was ge you know, genius. And it uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just such a great way of going about um, building empathy, a great way of going about uh, you know, broadening um, uh, mindsets. Right. And uh, yeah, and so I think you know, initially when we started thinking about global education, I think we, we really took a, a very academic kind of track on it. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, that maybe was not, I think we strayed from what we knew best, which was as opposed to getting down in the weeds of intercultural competence and not that those things are not important, but ultimately not losing sight of the human connection that allows right. you to experience culture and build that community. Yeah, very, very important. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's sort of hard to, to look at the research and also the practice and find the happy medium between them. And we often find, especially in education, I don't know about other fields, but especially in education, that it seems to be we either sort of look at the theory and try to funnel it into the practice, or we look at the practice and don't really match it with the theory. So that, that we say, you know, this is working because of, uh, I think there's more uh, awareness of that now, but um, are you finding that also, Mark? Yeah, I think there's some really great um, examples of, of, of practice out there. If I look at like the, the Stevens Institute um, and Empatico mm -hmm. and QFI, where what, what you're seeing there with organizations like that is a, a deep grounding in the research that then is manifested in this practice of connecting people together. And, and right. I think that's just a really nice, I think those organizations, and there's a lot of organizations obviously doing it well, but specifically those three organizations that I've interacted with, it's, it's been really, it's been really great to watch smart, smart people put their heads in the books and come out with these solutions to connect people together. And, and right. I think that's a nice balance of that. Yeah, abso absolutely. And, um, so I, I, you know, my next question is sort of related to all of that too. Why is community important to your sense of belonging and well-being? So we talked a little bit about, you know, the ups and downs of being an international teacher. You, you mentioned about teachers coming into the United States and, and teaching and those intercultural competences and all of that. But what does that really mean on a human level in terms of forming that community for our students and for our teachers, which sometimes we, you know, we forget about that. And how does that affect our well-being? I, I mean, I think it's baked into our DNA. I think this mm -hmm. desire for community and desire for for belonging was like an important evolutionary <laughs> piece of of our existence as a as a species, and not just our existence. I think you see this idea of. Of, mm -hmm. of groups, you know, across across uh, multiple species. So I think there's something fundamentally um, important about it to survival. Um, yep. And yeah, obviously that's less so now, or maybe not so obviously. It maybe and maybe it's not less so now. But I, I think like we're not necessarily counting on someone, you know, having our back inside of a community the way that maybe folks did ten thousand years ago. Right. But I think there's still that very much that desire for people for people to belong um, yeah. to your point and for people to 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 be with people, and uh, 
I listened, you know, I listened to a uh, uh, presentation at the Open uh, Archaeological Society, I, I probably just butchered the name, on communities of practice in, in Bronze Age um, weaving. And, and, it, and it was just, it was amazing wow. that like in 3000 BC, people were working together to mm -hmm. improve their practice, you know, around how to, how to best how to best weave. So there's there's something fundamental in there. I think that humans either have a, an innate need for it, or at mm -hmm. least a, a really strong desire for belonging. Yeah, absolutely. That that's why I say belonging before bloom. And mm. some of the research that I've been doing about belonging, which will also go into my book, and you're exactly you've hit on it, is Dr. Stephen Porges, who has done research on polyvagal theory which is the physiological and neurological and psychological kind of coming together of this massive nerve that goes from your brain all through your major organs called the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. And as a relation to that, it, this whole idea of connection, uh, it affects our heart rate, it affects uh, our, our breath, our breathing, our lungs and, and all of our major organs. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's really interesting. Yes, it is baked into our DNA and it comes all the way back from animal times where you see the communities working together. But I'm so glad that you mentioned communities of practice because that's exactly where I wanted to go next. Communities of practice is all embedded in everything that Participate does. So I'd, I'd love to know where the idea, not where the idea of communities of practice come from, because like you just said, it goes way back to the Bronze Age or before, <laughs> but where did you sort of start to see that as a need? And then where did a participate come in in terms of your spinning off and making that a part of, um, of those, you know, that kind of belonging and, and so forth? Sure, um, back back. I was going to say a decade ago, but it's longer than that. Um, remember, the, it, there was the the really big push for PLCs um, when PLCs mm -hmm. were first rolling out, you know, professional learning communities. And yes. I, at the time, I was teaching a course called Advanced Functions and Modeling. And you maybe have one teacher at the school that teaches that. I had taught AP Stats as well, which you tend to be the only AP Stats teacher. Right. So, you know, PLC really became like this the loneliest day of the week kind of <laughs> just sitting around by yourself. And so um, the state of North Carolina does a fantastic job of bringing teachers together. And nice. in one summer at the, we have this amazing, um, we have this amazing school called the North Carolina School of Math and Science. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the summertime, all the AFM teachers, advanced function modeling teachers are brought together and, and it's fantastic. And, and you know, spend a week together and you're sharing and you're building your lessons and units and- Oh, wow. Um, but then you left and you didn't see them for a year. So initially I had a, um, like a, this is a, a while back, but I had a WordPress site for my students where I could put like my smart board files mm -hmm. and things like that from lessons, homework. So I just put a, a login on it and an old uh, bulletin board plugin, plugged it into WordPress. And that was really kind of the first, um, my first attempt to bring uh, teachers practicing you know in a similar domain or in the same domain together uh, to right. learn share lessons and and so um it, it didn't work particularly well but i thought the idea was a good idea so kind, of, when... kind of cumbersome <laughs> huh but the, but the thought it was the thought that counts there was something in there yeah. <laughs> so 
um, at, at VIF, um, you know, we would have a thousand teachers in the country and, and sometimes you had two or three teachers at a school, but oftentimes it was a single teacher at a single school. Oh, I see. And um, when I was working there, we had a lot of discussions about how do we, how do we help these teachers feel connected? Mm -hmm. How do we stay connected to those teachers so that they feel right. to your point, that sense of belonging and how do we ensure that they're, you know, they have access to the resources and the learning opportunities that you would you would want them to have in order to grow uh, and and succeed in yeah, in their job, right. because I, I mean one thing about the VIF program, which is now the Participate Learning Program, it really is a professional learning program for teachers, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a, this opportunity for teachers to come and learn, and at the same time right. learn through practice, and so that's where like this idea of learning through practice, communities of practice. I, when I initially tried to build that community, I had no idea what the community of practice was, but um, right. that model seemed like the perfect fit for bringing together yeah. practitioners around the same domain so that they could learn from each other and, and take lessons that they've learned of what's working, what's not learning, and turn that back into improvements in practice. Right. Yeah. And you know, that's so important. My, my dissertation, my doctoral dissertation, was all about um, professional development and transfer of training to the classroom. Because professional development is wonderful, but one-off professional development without ongoing support, uh, especially from your colleagues or people who are you know, sort of in your job alike, is uh, almost impossible to transfer to the classroom. Because the first time, we're, you know, we're really busy. The first time mm -hmm. it doesn't work exactly how we saw it work during the workshop. Um, it's like, I think I'm going to go back to what I was doing because I don't know what to do with it now. It's, you know, it's not the same. And of course, you know, we have different students and everything. So um, the whole idea of ongoing support and I've watched participate grow. So what I'd love for you to, to talk about is in more detail, what the community of practice, the communities of practice look like within participate, how you get groups started, what kind of groups you have right now because it's a really amazing platform. And one of these days, I know I'm gonna get involved with it, but anyway, I keep promising you, but we will do this. <laughs> but please, for our listeners, I would love for you, people who aren't familiar with Participate or have heard of it, but really don't know exactly what's happening, please uh, let us know and some of the communities that have already are up and running. Sure thing. Um, so, you know, we, we set out to build a space for initially for educators, mm -hmm. um, where they could connect, uh, converse, co-create knowledge. But to your point, like up and, uh, most, it's, I would still say most professional development for teachers or even you know what people may call professional learning for teachers. I think most of it is still um, premised on this transfer of knowledge of, of me, the expert opening my head and, and taking this knowledge and dropping it into your head, you know, whether right. I build a course or whether I'm staying on the stage at a workshop. And, and to your point, every, every school environment is different and, and then temporally it's different as well. Like I could go back to the school that I taught in 10 years ago and it would be nothing like when I taught there 10 years ago. And right. so the people that actually are best positioned to understand what is required in their job are the people that are there doing that job. And uh, there was a really a great example that kind of stuck with me was uh, Xerox repair people. 
it would be a, a manual for this or like an early community practice example and and mm-hmm. you would you'd get your certification become a certified re- repair person but then you would go out to these different locations and people would inevitably find new ways to break the machines and this idea <laughs> yeah. that you would constantly update that manual somehow and it, right. it this really kind of like losing battle of keeping you, know, you hear it all the time by the time the textbook is published it's out of date so then how do you how do you how do you account for that what you do yeah. is you allow the practitioners to share in real time what it is they're learning you look for patterns you codify those patterns but it's a it's a uh, and memorialize those patterns mm-hmm. and and then build upon them and so it's it really is this idea of how do you bring together in that case educators to share co-create knowledge and co-create identity as well and that was really an important part for our organization was this idea of <clears throat> building a sense of identity within this group of people who have been drawn from 80 countries from around the world. Yeah. Wow. And so that's, that's where we started out was just really thinking deeply about what are the, what are the, what's the feature set? What are the tools that are going to help people converse to connect, um, to, to surface the lessons learned and then mm-hmm. for people to collect those lessons learned and, Oftentimes you'll see in an organization that when someone leaves, they, you know, there's the brain drain issue if they take knowledge with them. Yes. So that when someone yeah. new comes in, it's no longer there. And so, you know, this idea, if we're co-creating knowledge, how can we ensure that it's memorialized so that when someone comes in, they can easily see um, uh, what has been done before them and then build upon that. Right. And so in that, that model, it was a really kind of organic process and it continues to be a work in progress. But what did happen was that we noticed that there were people that were not just educators that were interested in using it. And, and really the, the, the kind of the, what pushed us into the, the spin out was um, giving participate us the flexibility to work not only with educators who continue to be by far our largest group of folks that we work with, but with other mm-hmm. folks as well. And so now we have, you know, I think Black Girl Ventures is a great example of a, a venture organization that provides capital to business founders who traditionally um, would, would find it challenging to access that type of capital. And so, you know, their business founders are brought together. Um, Amazing. That, that, I think that's a good example of, of um, the, you know, us, us pushing out beyond just educators themselves into, you know, professionals in different domains and that's the beauty of community practice is that they're domain specific um, Mm -hmm. but the model is is essentially the same right yeah so you can pretty much use that model and what what is really nice too is as uh, you see there are additional needs for different groups in terms of ways of communicating ways of um sort of establishing the, that professional development, you've, you've grown the, the website, you've grown the domain uh, in order to you know, help accommodate that. Uh, initially, I think the, the type of communication through uh, the chats and things like that were, were rather basic, but I think you've been able to go beyond that um, now. Um, I know that one of the non-educator groups is, um, and I can't remember the name of it, is the, the group of uh, coffee. I think they're, yeah. 
Yeah, the Inter International Association of Women Coffee Growers is, is yes. another fantastic organization that we we just love. And, um, you know, there again, this is this is a, an umbrella organization for these country specific coffee growers. Um, and this is, again, this is a great opportunity for people to come together and share and, and, and co-create a body of knowledge around growing, marketing, mm -hmm. selling um, of coffee. And um, so you have, you have these amazing women coffee growers from around the world communicating with each other, growing together and, and, and helping each other out. So you'll see, for example, like um, coffee that uh, is grown in Honduras ended up in drinks in Japan through connections that um, people in that organization make. And, and that's just, a, that's a, that is a really wonderful organization. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And then you have educating ed educator groups. I know one of, I think one of the first ones was QFI, right? Yeah, QFI. Amazing. Oh, I mean, just a fantastic group of group of folks the, um, to work with, first of all, and they're a, they're a longtime partner and um, watching their community, their community is up over a thousand teachers or a thousand educators now. Amazing. And, uh, you know, Jen Geis is doing a great job of, of supporting is, yeah. and growing that community. And she's just an expert in, in community facilitation and community growth. And um, the work that they're doing um, around virtual exchange is some mm -hmm. of the best I've ever seen. And I, I, you know, if that is something you're interested in, I encourage you to, to, to join that community. And yeah. they have like 101 courses of what does it mean just to get uh, a virtual exchange off the ground. Yes. And then you have people that are just absolute old hats at it, talking to each other. And, and, and there's always somebody that's there, you know, willing to help you out because that is, I mean, you've, you've done it, I've done it. That's, that's a challenging educational endeavor because you're dealing with time zones, you're dealing with, you know, people people not showing up or mm -hmm. uh you're dealing with languages and and you know organizations like qfi and just trying to get connected and trying to get connected others. yeah absolutely absolutely so yeah, yeah. QF, qfi is, is you know one of our one of our you don't have any favorite children but <laughs> well i know that that jen's been with you for a while also and she's always innovating she uh, there there's actually 101 and a 102 course and yes. so for people who are really wondering how to get into or how to improve the way that they're having their students exchange or teacher exchanges and so forth, um, those are really great courses and there's a you know, great discussion forum um, and Jen's always around to, you know, to help out. So that's really cool. And then uh, I, I should have written it down. There's another group which is more recent, but not that recent, I think within the past year Unfortunately, their, um, their synchronous discussions always happen American side, East Coast, too late for me early in the morning here. Um, but they're, you know, they're so active and I don't know how many educators are now involved with that, but I can imagine they're always highlighting because I'm on their, on their list. And again, I, you know, I'm drawing a blank now. Which, which group is that, Eileen? Uh, what what, um, what kind of space are they in? They are uh, educators and international educators. Let me see. Oh, you, United We Teach? Yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. They're and awesome. So they are. They are. So that is um, 
That is something that Participate Learning created. Um, for the most part, you know, when I, when I worked at what is now Participate Learning and since I've left, a lot of what we did was to support our teachers and our programs. Mm -hmm. And this was uh, Anna Maria Knight, who works at Participate Learning, is a longtime colleague of mine, and, and Michelle McEnber, who I actually went to college with, so even beyond a longtime colleague of mine. Um, they started this community for um, any, any teachers. And that mm -hmm. was really kind of the first time participate learning had kind of opened the doors to teachers from, from, from anywhere. And, and they have done, I think, one of the best jobs of, of fundamentally creating a community experience, even, you know, and what they've done is they've, they've done it with no, it's almost like a spoonful of sugar with a medicine to a certain extent. So like you, you're wanting to bring people together. Imagine like I have this desire to bring teachers together to, to co-create lessons and then share the lessons that I've built out. Well, it's sometimes it's hard to get teachers jazz as a person who used to write very horrible lessons to get jazz about writing lessons. Uh, United, we teach uh, cooking. So, um, mm -hmm. Mark's going to come on and he's going to cook a recipe from Canada here, come into the community. Here's the ingredients list, the recipe, and then come on, click this link at four o'clock and we're all going to cook together. And then everybody's going to share out into, into social yeah. media, um, what they've cooked. And so there you start developing that muscle, that muscle mm -hmm. memory of, of how to bring people together, building community. And then I think the really, the thing that they've done so well, um, I don't know if you know, uh, Simon Terry is a researcher who did uh, a lot of the work that, some of the work that he had done and picked up by Microsoft mm -hmm. in, in classifying what types of learning occur where in kind of like social spaces. And so mm -hmm. with Microsoft, like what, what, what would you use Teams for versus Yammer, for example? Okay. He, had this, he has this idea of this inner and outer loop uh, of learning, which I love, and, and we've really kind of adopted it. And the whole idea is that there's an outer loop of learning where people um, will explore, they'll discover, and then they will they will work together cooperatively. And so I think Twitter chats is a really great example. Think of uh, like uh, back in the old global ed chat days, like I'm interested in global education. Mm -hmm. I explore Twitter. I discover the hashtag global ed chat. Right. I take part in global ed chat, which is 30 minutes of sharing some resources, mm -hmm. maybe sharing some stories. It's very cooperative in nature. Right. Now imagine you take a subset or hopefully all of the people that are in global ed chat in this outer loop and move them into an inner loop experience in which they are working together towards a shared desired outcome with a shared desired product and they're working together collaboratively. So you move Amazing. them from cooperative work to collaborative work. And then you take the products of that collaborative work and you push it back into the outer loop where more people can discover it and hopefully join your community. And that's what they're doing. They're doing these great collaborative activities. They're taking yeah. the products, pushing it out to Twitter where people discover it and join for collaboration. And it's a really, really nice example of that model. Yeah, it's so amazing. And on top of that, they celebrate the educators in their community. Absolutely. And so I think it's weekly where I'll get, a, you know, sort of a shout out about a particular educator in the United We Teach community, uh, along with a short bio or how they're involved, you know, in education and what they're up to. And um, 
if they're on social media, their Twitter handle or whatever. So if you want to, you know, encouraging people to connect with them. And mm -hmm. oftentimes there are people I've never connected with before, um, never heard of, you know, online, probably wouldn't get noticed very much, um, but are, are wonderful and really experienced at what they're doing or even newbies. Um, and so it's there, you know, they've created a way to sort of reach out and celebrate each one of their uh, educators in their community, which is really special. And so even though I'm not able to attend, it's like, I feel like I'm part of the community and, um, and they have so much sharing that's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's wonderful. I, I love that, love that community. And it's been a joy to watch, watch it grow. Yeah. Um, so anything new that uh, people can expect from participate that you know is coming up or things that you're working on? And, and remind me whether badges, digital badges are still something that you're working on through participate. They are. And I think like, as um, you know, Julie Kane, Dr. Julie Kane, I work with uh, my longtime colleague, you know, we've been down in the weeds of digital badges. And, and, and this is, uh, it's like the peanut butter to the chocolate of communities of practice because, you know, well, you know, back in the day, we really leveraged Twitter chats, for example, was really one of our first, sure. um, our first uh, um, attempts mm -hmm. to capture learning that's occurring in what would be referred to as an informal learning space right. and give recognition, formal recognition for the learning that was occurring there. And, and that was really kind of our first try at doing that. And, and if you think about what happens in the community of practice, it is co-creation of knowledge. Yes. And that is, and, and, and it, it's actually, I mean, in my opinion, I, I can make the argument that it's more important to you as an organization to have your organization members putting into practice, going back to what we talked about earlier from your mm -hmm. PD experiences, putting into practice within your organization what they're learning, as opposed to having a transcript that says they got an 83 on a PD day or managed to stay alive for 10 hours in a workshop. <laughs> yes. uh, right? And so, <laughs> That's so, so true. that is like for us, this, this wonderful use case for digital badges, micro-credentials, whatever you wanna build on top of that technology right. is that we can now create what feels like informal learning spaces. So people feel like they're learning in the same way that they like to learn in Twitter, the same way they like to learn in Quora, the same way they like to learn in YouTube, but they can now get the uh, formal recognition right. for the learning that's occurring and organizations can give that formal recognition. So it, 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 I think it was a heavy lift for, to ask an, an HR group to say, hey, you've got three employees on Twitter chats. Can you kind of figure out what sort of recognition you should yes. be able to give them? Right. But digital badges allow us through the creation of products from, you know, that demonstrate an impact on your practice for that right. formal recognition to be given. So I think, you know, that was a really long winding answer to, yeah, digital badges, if anything, are more important to what we're doing than they've ever, ever been. Right. Um, the other, yeah, we're also, ahead. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. Yeah. I, I was going to say that we're also, um, we're also experimenting with different spaces so we, as i mentioned we had done a lot of work early in, in twitter in twitter as a as a, a space for for learning we're doing a lot of work now with uh twitch because we're doing a lot of uh, work around game-based learning we, we work with some fantastic organizations um 
that that support game-based learning um, and and learning through games and esports. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitch has been, you know, you can go to participate.com backslash live and we are running professional, you know, what would be seen as professional development and or professional learning, depending on where you are in your, in your practice Mm -hmm. through Twitch. And then again, coming back to the platform um, to, to give recognition for the learning that occurs there. And so I think, you know, going forward, you will see us more tightly integrate streaming video streaming we've been Mm -hmm. working a lot on podcasts we've been doing a lot of podcasting work for example this is a you know will be probably not today's episode with me but for the most part this is a great learning experience for people and so how how can people get recognition for for what they're learning from this podcast so i think us continuing to expand the types of learning that can Mm -hmm. be recognized and supported will where's where you'll really see us kind of moving from a from a product standpoint. Uh, yeah. And I think it's also um, imperative that t- educators expand their definition and awareness of what professional development is. And I've talked to teachers about the fact that you've read an article, you've discussed an article with a colleague, you've stood in the hallway and discussed you know, a problem with a student, um, you've listened to a podcast or watched a live stream or whatever, uh, you've read a book, th- those are all uh, professional development opportunities. But unfortunately, we don't think of it because we don't get a certificate for it. So the idea of micro-credentials and uh, being able to be recognized for the skills that I've gained from doing that uh, by either coming up with a product or some other kind of uh, artifact, and then possibly have pathways related to that um, eventually is, is really important, I think, because we begin to recognize how much we're learning. And I think we often take that for granted as educators. And, and I think de-siloing the professions as well. And so I, mm. I t- 100% agree. And, and what I love to see and which we're starting to see. And so from day one um, to the disconsternation of a lot of people, I've pushed back on this idea of white labeling communities and, and walling them off because I do believe mm that networking these communities together and providing right. opportunities to connect communities together. I think there's a lot to be learned by a frontline health care worker talking to, working with, collaborating with a teacher. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. With, with lawyers, with, I think that only having teachers talk to teachers, only having lawyers talk to lawyers, only have business people talk to business people is a missed opportunity. And um, if you think at like frontline healthcare workers, I think is another great example of, you know, teachers and those folks having um, uh, a shared interest in the well-being of, te- of children. You know, how, how important is it to bring them together to begin right. discussing how each of them can learn from each other what's working, what's not, and, and improve those situations for children. Yeah, and for themselves also. And for if themselves, absolutely. Yes, because there, there is a lot of stress, which we don't really see. Um, you know, the recognition now, I think, is more so because educators have almost become like frontline workers, although, you know, it's, it's not exactly the same. But you're right, we have a lot to learn from each other. And uh, I never thought of it as siloed, but it's a shame we really need to be looking at those networks. So 
Mark, this has been really terrific. I, I hate to sort of be winding down. Is there any other advice or anything else that you want to mention for our listeners before we sort of wrap up? Well, I, I really appreciate you um, having me on, Eileen. And it's, I always love catching up with you and I always love our discussions and um, yeah. just, just, yeah, encouraging people to, to your point. It, it, it's important. The sense of belonging is critically important and to encourage people to, to seek out their communities and, and find those opportunities for them to feel that belonging and to, to learn together. But um, right. yeah, wonderful yeah. time chatting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and to look into communities of practice. If, it, if it's something that you haven't really heard of and uh, entitled that way, uh, communities of practice, I think are, are becoming more well known now, but I think definitely sure. uh, participate is a community of practice that you should check out. And where else can they find you or find about out about um, all of those things that we've been talking about, Mark? Sure. Well, um, it's, you know, our, our site is participate.com. So it's, it's an easy one to get to. I'm at Mark J. Otter um, or Mark Jotter, maybe some people say on Twitter. And <laughs> I, I tend to be at Twitter tends to be the best place to catch me. Um, I'm, I'm on there most of the time. And uh, if you see me at any point of the day, I'm probably nerding out on communities of practice and would love to, you know, talk to anybody about it that's interested in learning more or taking, taking part. Sounds good. And of course, all of that will be included in the show notes, including some of the things that you mentioned, so that there are links to, uh, to make it easier for our listeners if they, if they go to the show notes. Mark, thank you so much. Uh, I wish you happy holidays uh, and also um, you know, a wonderful 2021. And look forward to uh, watching Participate Grow even more in the next, uh, in the next year so much, Eileen. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to Belonging, that's Journeys number two belonging, dot webstarts.com. See you next week.